Great to see you this morning. My name is Kenan Vaughn, one of the pastors and elders here, and what a delight it is to be with you this Sunday morning and to be in God's Word with you. If you want to head to Ephesians, we are going to jump back in to this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in uh, 61, 62-ish AD, and we are, um, we are in chapter 4. That's where we left off going into the Advent season. So you got to uh, rewind a uh, couple months, and uh, then we went into Advent where we uh, prepared our hearts uh, for the coming of Christ, and then we took a little time to um, have some prayer and praise services of confession and repentance and thanksgiving and supplication, and then we spent three weeks in our core values uh, where we had um, elders in the church uh, come up and walk us through the nine core values that are on uh, the, what is that, the east wall? Mm, I'm completely turned around, south wall, thank you. Uh, Got to think where I parked, then where I was, then where the sun, okay. Um, all right, so, uh, and I thought that was really uh, helpful, and, and I thought those guys did a great job of just reminding us and anchoring us in uh, specifically what's distinct about Harvest Church. According to God's Word, what are we striving for? And so this week, we'll now jump back into Ephesians. Uh, remember, this is a, a letter where Paul is um, uh, speaking incredible truth into the life of this little house church uh, amidst an incredibly pagan culture. And uh, you got the goddess Artemis, who's uh, world-renowned uh, world in worship, who's, who's right there uh, in the midst of uh, Ephesian culture. And you've got... Um, uh, this little group of believers who uh, Paul spends the first three chapters really anchoring in who you are. Your identity is completely different now as a Christian. Uh, and then we went from identity into uh, unity, that you guys now as Christ followers, born again, converted and regenerated, are one. You're one in Christ, even though you're diverse uh, in your socioeconomic status or in your age or in your race or in your Jew or Gentile background which well, there was a serious dividing wall separating Jews and Gentiles. Paul says, not anymore. You're one. And now to maturity, that we're, the, the goal is to see you guys raised up to Christ-likeness. And we're in the midst of this uh, portion of the letter where Paul is digging deep into what it is to be mature in Christ. And so we're going to pick it up there today in chapter 4. If you're able to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, I'd invite you to do so. Chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. Word of God reads this way. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of God for the people of God, and the people of God said, praise be to God. You may be seated. So, Father, we, we just ask that in these uh, few moments where we uh, open our Bibles, where we look to the text, that we might hear your voice. You are the, the good shepherd. pray that you would uh, guide us, 
to green pasture this morning. I pray that you'd illumine our hearts and minds to the truth of your word, that the truth of your word be transformative this morning as you wash us and sanctify us through your word. As I speak, Lord, as I preach this morning, I must decrease you, Lord Jesus, must increase. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, the text begins with Paul doubling down in verse 17 with the authority he's been given. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord. So Paul says, there's something I'm going to tell you here, and I'm going to testify to this in the Lord. There's an authority, there's a weight behind what he says here. And the idea is that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Walk is the idea of live or the idea of a lifestyle and the futility of their minds. Uh, The futility of their minds means uh, futility is emptiness or darkness or worthlessness or failure. If you look it up, that's what you're going to get. I was having a, uh, I had an opportunity to do a a premarital counseling session um, uh, over Christmas, so a month and a half or two ago, and and there was this couple, and um, I was sitting with them. I, I knew the gal a little bit from uh, 20 years ago, and uh, the, the uh, guy I was just meeting. And um, as, I, as we began to get into uh, their story, and I asked them to tell me, I said, tell me your story. Tell me about how you met each other and uh, fell in love, and tell me about your personal story, if you have a testimony. And, and she shared, and uh, through her testimony, you could hear she had a, a, a sweet uh, relationship with the Lord. And then as he shared... Uh, you could tell he had had a, an upbringing that was somewhat religious. He had been in church uh, with his mother, but then uh, the church wasn't even in his uh, his own language. Long story there, but it was uh, a, a different denomination that was uh, not even speaking the language that he understood, which we talked about, so he never knew what was going on in church. And then as soon as he was of age, out of high school, he left and had never come back. And so my heart, uh, as I listened, I thought, you know, this guy... Um, uh, is, is far from God. This guy doesn't know Christ. It was real uh, obvious uh, in the time together. Matter of fact, I just felt a real weight uh, on my heart to share the gospel, to use this time to share the gospel. And, uh, and so I talked about the purposes of marriage and, and used that as a platform to, to talk about who Jesus is and uh, who the church is, is his bride. And, and then the moment the meeting was, was over, I asked uh, my assistant, I said, hey, uh, I'd ask them, when are they going to come back? They said, because uh, I'm sorry, they live in Dallas, and they said they would come back uh, sometime in the next couple months, and they'd uh, let me know when. So I told my assistant, I said, hey, would you mind staying on this guy? I, I want to meet with him at the first possible opportunity that he comes back in town. So sure enough, they set it up, and um, it was about six weeks later, and he came in town, and we went and had lunch together. Uh, I had given him, a, I'd asked him if he was a reader, he was, I'd given him a book uh, that's just uh, called What is the Gospel, and he had, uh, we got to lunch, I said, hey, did you uh, have a chance to read that book? He said, I sure did. And uh, he said, man, he said, that's really messing with me. I said, well, what is? And the first thing he said was, you know, uh, I've always had an idea about what Christianity is. He said, but what this book is teaching me is that what I had come up with in my mind that was Christianity was far into the gospel. And I said, well, tell me a little bit more about that. And he said, well, you know what? And he pulled it out of his briefcase. This guy's a doctor uh, out of Dallas, and he pulled out of uh, his briefcase the book. He said, you know what this book talks about throughout the book is this, this word called uh, justification. He goes, are you familiar with this? I said, yeah. <laughs> so, tell me what it means, though. And uh, he said, you know, the idea seems to be that 
Christ, when he endured the cross, he took on our sin, even though he had no sin of his own. And the idea behind this word justification, Kenan, is that we might be actually declared righteous by virtue of what Christ did on our behalf. Not even what we do, what he did. So it becomes the finished work of Christ through which we're made righteous. We're declared righteous, then made righteous. And, and that's the gospel. And I was like, well, and, and how does that conflict what you had come up with in your head? He said, oh, what I understood in my head, I would say now was just a system of works righteousness. He said, just, uh, I was just, I thought if I lived a reasonably moral and good life, that God would accept me. And he goes, now I find that that is actually foreign. It's the antithesis of the gospel because the gospel says you can't be good enough lest Christ would never have had to go to the cross. Uh, The waitress had not even come to our table yet, by the way. We were knee deep. When she came, she was trying to get a drink order and he was just going. And I was just like, two waters, keep going. Uh, It was awesome. Had a chance to lead uh, him to Christ at the table that day just down the street, and, um, and uh, just as the tears flowed and as we were, uh, uh, as he had come to Christ, and, and he, uh, just as the Holy Spirit washed over him, there was just the reminder even for me of this miraculous work God does when he illumines a mind and a heart to truth. And uh, the burden that had been placed on my heart when I met with him six weeks ago was because God was working. There was an opportunity to be a vessel, an instrument, but God was doing something in this guy. I could feel it tangibly. And the fruits of it were really clear in the restaurant. Uh, uh, that the, the ball was on a tee, that the, the gospel was on the soil and just needed to be pressed in. And man, as soon as it was, there was new birth. I don't know how else to tell you. There was, there was a, a man recreated before my very eyes. Now, that is... What Paul has been talking about, that's conversion. That's Ephesians 2, if I'm taking you back a couple months, when Paul says, you and I were dead in our transgressions and sins. Not just alone and hurting and struggling, dead. Like, didn't need someone to uh, come along and just kind of clear the fog. Needed someone to spiritually resurrect us to new life. And Paul in Ephesians 2, if you remember, we talked about there's dead, we're dead, we're darkened, uh, we're disobedient, because we said you're sons of disobedience, and we're doomed. The wrath of God will be upon you. That's what Ephesians 2, that's the argument Paul said. That's what was true, Ephesian church, Christian at harvest, of every single one of us, unless or until the Lord rescues us, unless he illumines us to the truth, unless he does in our life what he did in this young, young man's life uh, Thursday before last, unless there's a miracle of new birth unless we can see what we once couldn't see. Right here in chapter 4, Paul's saying, don't walk, don't have a lifestyle that's like those who are still futile in their thinking. They can't see what they can't see. And that, and that ought to break our hearts for the, those that we know that don't know Christ, that haven't been illumined to truth. Whether theirs is a, a therapeutic moralistic deism, whether it's some kind of uh, uh, religious legalism that they're... Um, uh, pursuing because they believe that there's righteousness found in good works. 
as my new friend believed, or whether theirs is just a life of pure licentiousness and sin. It ought to break our hearts. They are futile in their thinking, empty. It's vain. Uh, They're in darkness. Look what he goes on to say, verse 18. They're darkened in their understanding. Uh, The lights haven't been turned on. By the way, I wish I could turn them on. I can't. And, and no matter, it, when, you're, when you're darkened in your understanding, futile in your mind, it's going to go on to say hardened in your heart, enslaved to sin. You can search all day for that light switch. You're not going to find it. Only God can turn it on. And there are folks who are futile in their thinking, darkened in their standing. The, the, the picture, I, for some reason, get it's not a great illustration, but it's, it's just culture swimming downstream. It's like the salmon when they are born and they swim for that short period downstream. There's no thought as to swimming upstream. There's no, you instinctively are going the way of the world. And what we learn from Ephesians 2 is there is a current, and that current's being pulled by the prince of the air, the prince of this world, who is Satan. And so you and I have a sin nature. We have instincts. We have flesh that leads us to do just like everybody else, Uh, to act in a way that is offensive to the holiness of God. We don't have to be taught to be selfish. We don't have to be taught to be prideful. We don't have to be taught to be greedy. We don't have to be taught to lust. We do those things instinctively. We just swim downstream with everybody else pulled by the current of this world, which is controlled by the prince of the air. Unless we 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 are rescued out of the water. And by the way, it'd be like a fish that never even knew he was wet until he was pulled out. And you get pulled out and placed with your feet on firm ground. Then you look and go, whoa, I was, that was, that was me. I was swimming downstream and little did I know the danger of where I was going. There's the waterfall a hundred feet away to doom. Praise be to God. This is, this is what salvation is. You were dead. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and following, but God intervenes on your behalf. Now, Paul says, if that's true, because he's writing to the Christian in the church, he's writing to you, he says, don't, don't walk, don't live as the Gentiles do, referring to those who don't, still don't know Christ, futile in their mind, darkened in their understanding, and look, here's the reality, alienated from the life of God. Alienated. They're apart from God, they're without God. They're in opposition to God. Uh, That's what it is to be darkened. That's what it is to be dead. That's what it is to be characterized by disobedience. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. That's a lot of phrases stacked on top of one another that describe the state of man apart from God. Futile in our thinking, darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the hardness, ignorance that is in us due to the hardness of our hearts. Now, by the way, if you're, if you don't know Christ, this is pretty offensive. Thought about that as I was preparing. If I'm talking to somebody out there that thinks they're doing a pretty good job being a pretty good person, how dare I say this? I mean, it's offensive. Or someone who just overtly says, I don't believe that Christ is the Son of God. I think this is all made up. It's all a myth. It's not true. This is offensive. The gospel offends deeply. Interestingly enough, if you're saved, your spirit is saying, amen. Like if you're saved, you're going, that's exactly true of who I was. I wouldn't have admitted it then, and I would have been offended by it. 
But once God turns on the light, you go, whoa. Amen. That's exactly who I was. But the grace of God. And so ignorance that is in them simply means there's no truth. They're not governed by truth. And if you're not governed by truth, you're governed by that sin nature. This is all of Romans 6, that you're either a master by grace. The grace of God has commandeered your life, your sights, your heart, your affections. And grace, Paul says, is an incredible master. The love of Christ compels us towards obedience. But if that's not your master, you're mastered by the law. And you're mastered by the flesh. And you're, you're enslaved to the flesh. You just follow those instincts, which are uh, deceitful, which are sinful. And so the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, where the truth has been given to you, where somebody has shared the gospel, if you're lost, what's happened is you've rejected it. There's been a hardening of your heart. And there's this kind of Pharaoh situation going on where Pharaoh hardens his heart and God hardens his heart. And you see the, the both and there. You didn't desire Christ. You didn't recognize your need and humbly surrender to the grace of Christ. And there's a reason you didn't, because God had not tilled that soil in your heart to the, to the, uh, uh, so that it was tuned to the sound of his voice. And so in the hardening of your heart, there's the rejection of the gospel. By the way, you go, well, what about the guy that nobody's ever sharing to him? Now we're in Romans 1 where God says, even nature declares the glory of God. But men reject nature and all the divine attributes of God that are seen in it and worship cre uh, creature versus creator. By the way, if Romans 4, you should make a note in your Bible. Romans 4, 17 through 19 is in three verses, a shortened version of what Romans 1, the entire second half of Romans 1, Romans 1 verses 18 through 32 give us in long form. These two passages are parallel with one another. Matter of fact, he's going to say in 19 in our passage here, they, so again, anyone who is still dead in their trespasses and sins, which we all once were, they have become callous. Callous is, is deadened. It's, uh, the Greek word means no shame. There's no shame. By the way, you're going to see a lot of Super Bowl ads this afternoon that, that, that I hope have you wincing in shame, okay? To the lost person, no shame. There's a celebration of sensuality and immorality, all right? It says right here, uh, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. That's where that's where things always go. Greedy, that's a, a lust for more, to practice every kind of impurity. Now, I referred to it. Let me give you just a little bit of uh, context or more from Romans 1. Romans 1 describes this, uh, uh, this downward cycle of lost man, what inevitably happens. Romans 1 verse 18, just, just listen. You don't have to turn there, just, just listen. You, you can note it. Romans 1, 18 and following says, there are men, men who are lost have suppressed the truth. The picture is of a, uh, of trying to take a beach ball uh, and, and, and get in the swimming pool and trying to hold that beach ball underwater. What does that, what does that beach ball want to do? It wants to come up. 
You can only suppress it for so long. But if you're trying to suppress truth, to hold that beach ball underwater, that's what man, darkened man is doing, suppressing what is true. Paul refers to nature as, as declaring what's true. Man's ignoring nature. He's worshiping the created, not the creator. It says he exchanges the truth about God for a lie. And it says, for this reason, God gives man up to dishonorable passions. He gives the first example. He says, women will exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men will likewise give up natural relations with women and be consumed by passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving the due penalty for their error. Now, in verse 18, it says, the wrath of God sometimes will be revealed in culture. That's the context for this passage. Sometimes there'll be a little foreshadowing of the wrath of God. And you know what's revealed? God just allows men, men who will not bow a knee to him, he will turn them over to themselves. That's the ultimate sign of God's judgment. He'll give you over to your fleshly desires, to be consumed by them and doomed by them. And he says right here, that will be an example. It'll, it, uh, it will go to that extent of sexual immorality. And then he says, not only that, he'll give them a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They'll be filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, envy. They'll be gossip, slanderers, haters of God. And then the very last sentence, and why I took you here to read it is, he says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. The ultimate sign of God's judgment on a culture is when a culture not only tolerates such shameless acts of unrighteousness, but gives approval, celebrates, grievous ignorance, hard-heartedness, and callousness towards the things of God. Now, I say that because we're in 21st century America, and you can... You can look at the stream that we're swimming in, and you see, you actually see Romans 1. You go, wow, wait a minute. Wow. And verse 18 says, you're seeing the wrath of God beginning to be revealed. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this, quote, I thought was pretty profound out of the great divorce. There are only two kinds of people, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right, have it your way. You don't want God to do that. You want God to mercifully quicken you to conviction over your sin, giving you a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, illumining you to the truth of his love, uh, turning your heart of stone to a heart of flesh, putting his spirit inside of you, and changing your affections and bringing you towards freedom in Christ. And if that's what God's done for you, then Paul says, hey, don't live like the Gentiles live anymore. God has done something unbelievable. You were once futile, darkened, alienated, ignorant, hardened, callous, and pursuing every form of impurity. Amen? But, I love these buts in Ephesians, verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. There was a gentleman that came into my office um, sometime between Christmas and New Year's. It must have been like the 30th or maybe even the 31st. I was in my office, I was studying, I was uh, preparing to go teach at a conference in uh, Dallas, Texas of college students. 
there was going to be thousands of college students through this campus ministry gathering at this stadium in Dallas. I was excited to go and speak to them, and I was preparing, and I was leaving the following day. And uh, I was reading in Ephesians uh, 2, and uh, this, uh, my door was open, and this gentleman kind of pops his head into the door. And uh, uh, recognized his face, had not had a proper introduction to him, knew I'd seen him around here. And uh, he just says, hey, wanted to introduce myself. I said, no problem. I hopped up, I met him, uh, and then he just kind of started talking. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I'm 75 years old. And uh, he said, I was alive in 1965 when dad came home with the rabbit ears and he put them on the TV and my brothers and sisters and I gathered around and he turned the knob and boom, color TV. He said, we just sat there. He said, I just wanted to tell you that 16 months ago in this church, God did the same thing for me spiritually. Now, that's regeneration. It was life as you knew it, and then all of a sudden it's color TV. And all of a sudden you can't even believe it. You can't even believe what you were swimming in and where you're now standing. And this verse 20 says, hey, don't live as you used to live. The lights have been turned on. You didn't learn Christ that way. It's, it's, you almost think, is there really a need for this sermon? Doesn't somebody who has the lights turned on know that they don't want to jump back in that river and swim in that direction? Yes. But you know what? When we are saved, theologically what's true is we get a new nature. You get a new nature. There's a, it's like a, a new operating system in the computer, not just an updating of the old heart, a brand new operating system. And yet, and yet the flesh dies hard. There are still sinful instincts that we feel that are deceitful, that will corrupt us. And though awakened, though having a new nature, though having a new operating system, there's now a challenge to remain in the light even amidst these sinful impulses that die hard. New nature, yes. Is the flesh gone? Not yet. One day, one day a glorified body no longer susceptible to sin, but not yet this day. So even though we've been declared righteous, there's a process by which we are being made righteous called sanctification, and that process has got to be cooperative. That process is you being submitted and surrendered to God who by the power of his Holy Spirit is transforming you into his very likeness. But here's what happens. You still got buddies in the river. You still got a flesh that yearns and is pricked by the lust and the greed and the pride and the power and the position, the possessions, everything else that used to titillate the flesh. It's still there. And if you wander from the fellowship, if you wander from the word, Slowly but surely, like the, like the frog being heated up in hot water until he's being eaten, you can find yourself back far from God, living as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Paul says, be careful. Don't forget when the lights came on. Don't forget you, and, and this, this phraseology is very interesting. You learn, it's not how you learned Christ. 
That's not like a misprint. If you're st- the idea is, um, I've learned Catherine over 16 years of marriage. You understand? I, I, I know all about her, but I could tell you all about her, but there's a difference in how you would know her. And I, I've learned her. So understand what makes her tick, how she thinks and fears and joys and what honors her. And I, I've learned her. The idea of being saved is that you're in relationship with God through Christ. He's not just a historical figure that we're studying about so that we know how to walk in a way that we know him. Paul says, I'll trade everything else, consider rubbish just to know Christ. You know him, you're learning him because you're in relationship with him. And he says, you didn't didn't come to know him that way. You weren't taught taught in him that way. You were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And what is that truth? Rounding third, he says, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God, true righteousness and holiness. So putting off the old, being renewed in your mind, putting on the new. I want you to see it. This is how you're to walk. Not like the Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. As one who sees in color, as one who's been illumined to truth, here is, there's the indicative, that's what's true of you, and now the imperative, how you live it out. That you would put off the old self. Intentional, by the way, it's a present, active, infinitive. You've got to do it once, and then again, and again, and again. So you have to always be putting off those fleshly corrupting desires. Anybody have those other than me? Me and Lolita. I'd love, I'd love it. With, I want those impulses of the flesh to be dead. Now, I find that the more I put them off, the more muted they become. Praise be to God. You feed them, the louder they'll become. Be careful. Paul says you've got to keep putting off those deceitful, corrupt impulses, lest you become ensnared in sin and not living in the freedom and the joy that Christ has provided for you. You got to put it off daily. Put off the old desires. This, I'm pretty sure this is an incredibly flawed illustration. It doesn't even make that much sense. But one of my boys is really into fishing. That We all love to fish. But one of them is really into it. So we always have a lot of fishing shows going on in our house. And he's always got fishing facts. I mean, I'm, I'm learning a lot about fishing right now. And one thing we're learning is, you know, why, how, how do you know, you know, why do fish keep biting the same bait, or how long, and, and, and why do you have to switch baits? Because the fish, even though it can't be illumined to the truth of what's happening, that fish will bite a bait uh, based on impulses, instincts that it has. And when it's caught a number of times, it can, through learned experience, uh, uh, realize what's happening through a certain bait and a certain kind of water at a certain level and stop biting. So the fish can somehow reason its way towards greater freedom. But all you got to do is change the bait. And, it was, it, and that's why. You just change the bait, and, you, and, and all of a sudden, that new impulse, the bait, fish, done. And we're glad the fish can't really learn, or fishing wouldn't be very fun. But when you are illumined to the truth of Christ, when you see in color TV, when you're, when you're alive in Christ... It's not merely a, the, the sinful, deceitful ways of our flesh 
kept leading us to death and I'm slowly learning through common sense that that wasn't a good idea. There's an emptiness there, almost like Solomon going through everything in life that ultimately doesn't satisfy. There's a step back, the lights come on and you see the big picture. You now know there's an enemy fishing for me. He's trying to catch me. He's trying to actually devour me. And he will bait the hooks according to the tendencies of my flesh. So I've got to walk not as unwise, but as wise. And when anything hits the water, the first thing i got to do is discern. Is this good or evil? Is this for the noble purposes of God or for the evil purposes of man? Is this my flesh? Is this going to tickle the fancy of a flesh? And that's why the hook was baited. Or is this going to allow me to pursue to a greater extent my heavenly citizenship? Now there's a whole different operating system. I'm awake, I'm alive, I'm enlivened. Well, putting off the old is saying, I'm no longer going to go, I'm not just flying by the force here, I'm not just uh, living off instincts. Every single fleshly impulse, I'm going to weigh according to the truth of God's word. We're going to determine whether it's the Lord's will or not. Now, how do you do that? Well, the second thing said, be renewed in your minds. Very quickly, uh, how, how we renewed in our minds. Uh, John 17, 17, Jesus praying says, sanctify them by your word. Can I tell you what it means to be renewed in your mind? By the way, we're, we're, Romans 12, 2 says, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. If you want to know how to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it is to wash your mind in the word of God. This is how you're sanctified, by the word of God. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I don't have to live according to fleshly instincts any longer. I've got a lamp. I've got a light. I mean, I can be washed and renewed in my mind. So there's an active putting off of the sinful desires of the muting of the flesh as I'm being washed in truth. So the standard of how I live and what is right and how I think is no longer flesh. It's God's word. When it was flesh, it was futile. I was darkened. I was hardened. I was callous. I was given over to sensuality. Now God's word renewing me, transforming me into the likeness of God. So there's a new coat I put on and it's the righteousness and holiness of God. Paul says, step into the privilege. Take off that old gnarly coat and put, off the put on the robe of righteousness. And by the way, when you're walking with God, in, in, in vivid contrast to the dissatisfaction of a life of sin is the peace and the joy and the hopefulness and the treasure of life in Christ. In other words, when you're living a holy life because you're compelled by the love of Christ, you're not over there going, man, I wish I, wish I got to do all the stuff everybody else is doing, but I know what I'll do. No, when you're walking in holiness, you're, a lot, you're, you're, uh, you're feeling the life of Christ pulsating through you. There's a peace that passes understanding. There's a joy that's unshakable. Like the fruits of the Spirit come out. You're growing in likeness to Christ, and there's freedom. Uh, Galatians 5, Christ came, set you free. I'll, I'll close with this, this thought. Uh, John 11, when Jesus came to the, the grave of his good buddy Lazarus, who he allowed to be dead for four days on purpose to illustrate this very point, when he shows up at the grave and Mary and Martha are crying and wish you'd come earlier and the whole deal, and, and, and Jesus says, remove the stone. They're like, you don't want to do that. Four days, dead man's going to reek. Remove the stone, and he says... Lazarus, come out. 
Now, this is not a resuscitation. This is a resurrection. This is a dead man coming to life. Spiritually speaking, great picture there of what God does to you and I. He calls you by name, and he says, come awake. My friend Bill, 75-year-old man, boom. Oh, my gosh. I was dead. Now I'm alive. You know that. Jesus doesn't stop there. You know what he says? He says, take off his grave clothes. Set him free. You and I are not meant to be awakened to the truth and enslaved to sin. We're not meant to be converted and not committed or saved and not sanctified. You're meant to be awakened to truth and freed to the likeness of the righteousness of Christ. Paul says, don't live like the Gentiles. They don't know what they don't know. God bless them. He's awakened you. Put off the flesh. Wash your mind in the truth. Step into the joy of Christ's likeness. Father, I pray that we would be um, moved in our spirit this morning. Our flesh won't respond to such teaching, but your spirit alive in us, may it be uh, well-received your word. May it plunge into a dark place in our life where we've been heeding the flesh. May there be brokenness and conviction where there is sin that we have allowed to ensnare us, the sin that so easily entangles Lord, sometimes we get birds nested up, and yet this morning we hear that there's a grace of the gospel that washes us, frees us, and recreates us towards Christ's likeness. May we heed the voice of you, the shepherd. May we feel afresh the washing of that grace. May we step into the new coat of the holiness of Christ. May we enjoy your presence in a new way today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to, uh, <laughs> praise God.